This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the Coast and Country podcast from the BBC. You can find the terms and conditions on our website at bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4. Today you can hear Open Country. Quite the best way to see the Herefordshire countryside really by is. bike, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful uh, bit of the world and this is a great way to get out and see it, yeah. Definitely. How long has it taken you to get this far? Um, this morning it's been about 50 minutes out from Hereford uh, to here and it's been a fairly sort of sedate pace. Sedate pace is good for me. I've not been on a bike for a while now, oh, yeah? not, in, not in anger anyway. Look, for most people going to the cinema is a fairly straightforward process. You choose a film and then you get in the car, perhaps hop onto public transport or even walk to your closest multiplex. But uh, for 25% of Britons, that is those of us living in rural areas, it's not quite as simple because there is no local multiplex or indeed any other arts venues very much for that matter. So this week, Open Country has come to Herefordshire to find out about the schemes that are bringing art to the people when people can't get to the art. And to that end, I'm cycling along a nice, quiet country road on the Welsh border with... Rob Owens of Hereford Cycle Club. Um, you're on the way, or we're all on the way, to see a movie. Yes, indeed, uh, in a bus, um, unusually. Okay, um, and what's being screened? It's going to be three short uh, archive uh, cycling films. So from, right up your street. Uh, perfect for us, yeah, absolutely. A little bit of film history. Now, Hereford itself does have a, a, a multiplex, does have a cinema, but uh, those living in the more rural parts, the more remote parts of Herefordshire, would have a long old trip to get to uh, to get into town. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sort of only in the city itself, really, and then sort of the market towns. A lot of the villages haven't got that, which is, I mean... Which is why things like uh, this bus, which is part of the Borderlines Festival, is great. And also the Flicks in the Sticks, uh, which runs through the year as well, bringing sort of films to sort of small venues, village halls and so on. And I guess you're keen to encourage people to access not just the arts, but other things by using two wheels rather than public transport or those nasty gas-guzzling cars. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the aim of uh, Cycle Hereford is to encourage people, you know, sort of in the city and the county here, to uh, cycle more for, you know, sort of health and environmental reasons. Not a perfect day for cycling, or perhaps you'll put me right, maybe it is a perfect day for cycling. A little cloudy, bit of drizzle, the road surface is wet. The first bit of significant rain, actually, we've, we've had for, for quite some weeks, but... I guess you don't work up quite so much of a sweat in weather like this. No, it could be a bit, uh, a bit sunnier, certainly, uh, a bit more clement, but uh, this isn't too bad, actually. It's not raining, so as long as it isn't actually sort of hacking it down, then, uh, you know, I'm happy. And that looks suspiciously like our destination just around the corner there. We can see an old-fashioned bus uh-huh. parked in the car park of England's Gate, uh, a pub. Yep, that's the England's Gate Inn, and that is the, the movie bus parked up in the front there. Pretty impressive sight. Multiplex it isn't, but hey, it's here and, <laughs> and, and we're here, so... Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to the popcorn? Uh, well, I hope they've got that. A pint would do, failing that. <laughs> Let me grab these cinema goers as they, uh, as they come out the back of the bus. What did you make of what you've seen first of all and then more widely of the whole concept of the arts coming to you rather than you having to go to the arts yeah it was it was really excellent it was it was lots of 
old Herefordshire life in there. Thoroughly enjoyable and a wonderful old bus as well there. Excellent, really. Quite cosy in there by the look of it. It was very cosy, very cosy. It's so windy at the moment and cold, chilly today. And it was a nice community feeling there as well with the films, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a lovely lovely film. So what did you see? What did we see? We saw the the last film was particularly interesting. It was about life on the Black Mountains, uh, sheep farming on the Black Mountains, which, of course, has largely died out now. So that was that really was a blast from the past, and only really back in the sixties that was as well. So uh, you know, relatively recent past, but seems very dated, doesn't (laughs) it? (laughs) For me too. But it was it was interesting because I kept thinking, you know, the sixties being the sixties, the whole the Beatles and the whole whole bit. And there they were. It was a, a whole different world. Such a difference from Very London. And me in the 60s in, in London. The and yes. then so the previous film had been the doctor doing his rounds on, on horse and cart. And that was also in the 60s. It was 65, it was. 65 wasn't it? Man. And to think that in 65, everything was happening in yeah, yeah. London and other places. And he was here on his horse and cart doing in rounds the, and saying it was quicker. It was quicker. He could do 15 um, and in a day, whereas in the car it was much more complicated. He could only do eleven. And in in a lifetime or less than a lifetime, that's the kind of change, the the vast change that's been wrought on Herefordshire life. Well, it's in our lifetime, rather alarmingly. Yes, yeah, it's hard to believe that we were alive when people were talking like that. For example, so good idea. Absolutely, great idea. Yeah, keep, keep it coming. Yeah, really good. Emma Gifford has a big smile on her face. That's because some happy, some happy uh, theatre goers or cinema goers—I'm not sure what I should call it—mobile theatre, mobile <laughs> cinema—have just left, and we're ready almost for the next uh, the next viewing. From the back, Emma, it looks a little bit like one of those big horse boxes, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it often gets compared to a horse box from the back, but but it's when you go around the front and see what's up there that it looks. Very, very different. Well, let's do a quick circuit of okay. the outside yep. of the, the bus because it's kind of a difficult thing to get your head around. Uh, an old coach, is it essentially underneath the sort of gubbins, the working bit? Uh, uh, that's absolutely right. It's an old. It's a Bedford coach chassis, but they were custom built as mobile cinemas. They were completely unique. There were seven of them built, um, and the, the, the bodywork and uh, especially the, the dome above the cab is, is completely unique to these vehicles. So it's only that front little bit, the sort of driver's cab that looks like that Bedford coach, and above it, it's it's a cross between a conservatory and the rear gunner's turret in a Lancaster bomber, isn't it? Is that where the projection kit is, the projector? That's absolutely right, yeah. And you can actually see we've got the 16mm projector up there, which is the, um, the same as the original projector. And you say seven were built. Built by who? Um, they were commissioned by the Ministry of Technology, um, which was actually headed up with, by Tony Benn at the time. And um, they used to tour to factories around the country, and they would show films about modernising British production techniques. It was the whole white heat of technology era. And the things they used to show were things like reducing reaming costs and uh, machining with throwaway tip tools. This used to bring films, industrial films, to factory workers. Now you're bringing films to people in rural areas that haven't got a, a multiplex cinema uh, close by. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's still effectively an outreach tool. And even though the films that were the types of films that we're showing are different, um, I think it serves a lot of the same purposes, really. Where did you get a bus like this from? Do you buy it directly from the government? Did you did you did Tony Benn have it in his personal collection? <laughs> the government only ran them for about two or three years, and then they were sold off at auction. Actually, it was friends of ours who spotted it in a field in Essex, and they left a note under the windscreen wiper, and it said, um, "If you ever want to sell this, give us a call." Um, and they got a phone call two years after they left that note. Um, 
by which time they had a, sort of a family and things like that. So uh, we bought it from them, and that was the beginning of a five-year restoration. Wow. It's a proper cinema. It is, yes. <laughs> it's got proper cinema seats. Yep, absolutely. With the little sort of folding up. Yep. bottoms as yeah. well classic cinema red upholstery and um, yeah we've, we've, we've tried to keep in, in keeping with, and really sympathetic to the period with everything that's been done inside because it's not it's not exactly the same as the original interior and listening to the throng for the next sitting outside perhaps in its own small way what this mobile cinema is doing is it's helping communities that have been fractured for various reasons to to heal those fractures, to come together and do something in a communal way, in in a way that you never would yeah. if individually yeah. you all got in your cars or on the bus and went into the nearest town or city to yeah. the big uh, multiplex. In some ways, the experience that you get watching a film in this bus is, is almost the polar opposite of what you get in a multiplex. I, I think going to a multiplex can be quite an isolating experience now, and we get whole communities, they come here and they talk to each other, they're laughing together, they're, you know, they're remembering together, and it's a really powerful way of bringing people together we must let this i can hear the baying mobs outside <laughs> they're anxious to get in and we're keeping them from their screening aren't we so you do your stuff and i'll just stand by here do you want me to collect anything from them their tickets as they come no, in that, that's fine i can manage to do all the work thank <laughs> okay. you very much well thank <laughs> you and if you don't mind i'll pop myself at the back and yep. um have a little watch and a listen as well brilliant okay right well let's uh, let the audience in <laughs> Just picking up on a point that Emma was making as people are filing in to uh, fill the seats here in the, in the mobile cinema and they're talking to one another in a way that I can't ever remember talking to somebody when I've been to one of those soulless, bigger, uh, multiplex venues. And they're wiping their feet when they come in as well. Right at the beginning of the programme, Rob, as he cycled along the road with me there, mentioned the Borderlines Film Festival, and uh, with me just outside the mobile cinema is uh, Naomi Vera Sanso. Naomi, it's your festival. It's billed as the biggest rural festival, film festival uh, in, in Britain. So all the films you show have a, have a rural flavour or is it simply the fact that it happens in a rural area that gives it that label? It's really the fact that it happens in a rural area that, that gives it that label. We do show films that are about sort of rural issues and we have made features of that in the past. But, um, no, what we're showing is, you know, world cinema, the best features made in Britain, the most interesting sort of slightly off-stream Hollywood films and so on. So it's a big mix. We show classics as well. And was the motivation to bring film, bring the arts to people rather than having people come to the arts? Or is it simply that this is where you live and you thought, well, I might as well do it close to where I am? 
it's an opportunity for communities to get together. There's sort of two real motivations for it. Is one is so that people can have access to really exciting cinema experiences that you can normally access very easily in the cities, but it, it's also that it brings communities together, and, and then you, you know, you have debate and you have a focus and you you socialise. So it's a very much community orientated thing. A bit of a lamb count is going, and I can see um, mums and lambs being separated and counted, and we can hear the little plaintive bleats of the newborn lambs and the cries of the, the mums looking for their uh, various offspring. How many arts venues can actually say that they've got a pen of sheep just the other side of the car park? Because tonight, for one night only, Corley Hall at I, just on the outskirts of Lempster in Herefordshire, is going to be turned into an arts venue. And one of the volunteers that helps turn this place into a cinema for the day, for the night, is um, Anita Sires-Gibson. Hello there, Hello. Anita. Hello. Just describing the sheep, what a lovely venue oh, yeah, you've got they're here. they're lovely. They're Jacob sheep, actually, there. And beyond them, the geese, and then to their left, yes. not Herefordshire cattle, but some uh, bog-standard black-and-white cattle. It's um, uh, well, a perfect yeah. venue. Yes, absolutely, yes. How does one go about turning a village hall into a cinema? Well, we have some very good equipment, which, which we've recently had installed. Uh, we have a lot of chairs that have to be put out. Uh, we have an ice cream bar and a bar. And then we have a technician here working away, trying to make sure that it all works properly. Is it popular? Do you get plenty of people sitting on the seats well, that you're about to put out? Yes, we're hoping tonight we'll probably have 50 or 60 people, maybe more. We don't know until they turn up. So what do you make of this notion of uh, the, the cinema moving to the people rather than vice versa? Oh, is, is it a sensible idea? Yes, it's wonderful, and people really appreciate it. We now do um, themed uh, films. So we have the sort of food that you would expect to have with the sort of film it is, which is great fun. And Greek food with my big fat Greek yes, wedding. Yes, absolutely. Yes, and we had um, we had a high tea with brief encounter. <laughs> <laughs> and then for the uh, March of the Penguins, we had um, fish pie. Like <laughs> <have> penguin meat. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody gave out penguin biscuits as well. <laughs> um, so that was good. Uh, and people like that, and they like coming. It becomes a social occasion. They can talk to their friends and enjoy the food and then watch the film and it's all quite cheap all for 10 pounds which is very very good value isn't it it? and perhaps as fewer and fewer people work in agriculture and have that shared experience what something like this provides is a shared experience of sorts yes yes well there are other social things like the wi and um but no i I think it, it it is good more and more i think it's a lovely feeling when people come and support things The lowing of the Hereford, it had to be Hereford cattle, uh, is a little misleading because what I'm actually looking at is a yard full of llamas that would be more at home, not in Herefordshire, but on the uh, Bolivian um, high plains. Um, a variety of different colours, uh, chocolatey browns through to almost sheep-like uh, whites. We're here not to see the llamas or the Herefordshire cattle but to look inside a barn that is storing non-agricultural produce, a film archive, 80,000 films that in recent years have been moved from London up to Herefordshire for safe storage for posterity. And inside this shiplat barn, I'm going to be talking to the founder's daughter, Amanda Huntley. See you, llamas. 
smelly. Morning. Hello. You must be Amanda. Hello. I am Amanda. Nice Just admiring your llamas. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> rather confusing sound effect because the Herefordshire cattle were lowing, the llamas were very quiet, and uh, it struck up a rather incongruous picture. Yep, surprised a couple of farmers around here. <laughs> <laughs> so what have we got here on this rather antiquated-looking... Steambeck. Steambeck. Okay, yeah. So describe what a steambeck is. Well, it's a sort of flatbed. It's an old machine that for running and editing films. Uh, indeed, in Hollywood now, they still edit movies on steambecks. So while they're, for the archive world, fairly commonplace, for most production now that's all digital... Less so. But in Hollywood, if you want to make a movie, you still edit it on a steam bank. So for those familiar with the old reel-to-reel tape recorders, it's like a big grown-up version of that, not just for audio, but for the, the, the pictures as well. Exactly right. Now, how many films are there in the archive here? Gosh, well, we, th- we don't really know the exact number. We say 80,000 titles that we have now. I mean, we are documentaries. We don't really do feature film. But above that, over and above that, pretty much everything you can think of. Britain, obviously, is a strong strand for us, but around the world, we have China, Russia, Chile, everywhere. <laughs> and before we look at what's laced up, is that the right yeah. techie language there? Yeah, what's laced up on this steam bag? Tell me, why Herefordshire? It seems a slightly odd or unusual place to have such a vast film archive. How did you find your way here? Well, we were London-based to start with. Um, I actually, uh, a second generation in this archive, my father started it. And we were based in Islington in the central London for years, 20-odd years. Um, but we, the archives never get smaller. They only ever get bigger and bigger. And the collections, moving the collections is such a problem. We decided we needed to move somewhere where we'd always have space to grow. So we chose a farm because we've got more and more outbuildings that we can convert. So where there used to be a milking parlour on this farm, there is now our film vaults, <laughs> all specially converted, properly controlled temperature, dehumidification, especially reinforced floor, <laughs> everything that we need to run a proper film archive. But on the bench at the moment, I'm looking at Herefordshire because now we're part of this county, this is home for us. We're particularly interested and our eyes always drawn to old films of historic Herefordshire. And I'm looking at a film now, it's called Going Why Way. Uh, it's very corny, uh, the commentary is terrible. My favourite line is, the hop pickers uh, pick the hops cleaner than a burlesque dancer on her first night. <laughs> <laughs> that is corny. <laughs> so the commentary is really ropey, but um, it does have wonderful scenes of old Hereford. Well, let's play a little bit. We know there is the names of hundreds of the tourists who came to gaze on his room and stayed in the bar of the Raven to drink cider. It's the local brew, and the locals who are 90 years young drink nothing else, and talk of nothing but the drop. I'll be craft. Ah, uh, watch the craft. And the rain die. Wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, the audiences have been hooting at that one because they, they're trying a local accent, and apparently it's not bad, but for the 1940s, not bad because all accents, even local accents, change with time. So they, they love that sequence. We've been showing the films in uh, 15 different venues all around Herefordshire as part of the Rewind programme, it's called. In little village halls, we've been having 130 people turn up just to have a look at these old films. They're, their popularity is fantastic. They rival sort of modern um, films, the King's Speech and things like <laughs> that that people are flocking to see. They want a bit of 
history, uh, something that was on their own doorstep. <laughs> what a great way of talking about it. Yeah, absolutely, it's rivaling feature films. They really do enjoy it because things change and you don't realise how quickly things change. Some of the farming films are showing, and for Herefordshire, obviously, that's mainly what we're looking at. Techniques have changed, transport's changed, you know, the way that farms are run have changed. And they really enjoy looking back at those times and remembering how it was. And without this archive, eventually memory fades or memory fails as people die. Um, So the value of this archive uh, from a social uh, history perspective is is, is difficult to quantify, I guess. That's the way we see it. For us, it's sort of archaeology, but of the 20th century, you know, we've got 115 years of old archive film now, and that shows us the past. People look at different things in the shot. Some people are looking at the clothes, the mannerisms, the accents, all those things that have changed. And I think one of my best moments for the film shows we've been doing is we showed a film, um, Second World War, 1942, and at the end of it, the man that was a 16-year-old boy in the film stood up and said, that was me. I couldn't believe it. I just, I was speechless, and that takes a lot. When you made the decision to move from Islington to to, uh, the wilds of of Herefordshire, um, local people must have raised their eyebrows. I mean, most people have got something that's kind of agricultural going on in their barns, whether it is actually these days cattle or machinery or, or whatever. To have something so very different must have raised a few eyebrows locally. Yeah, it did. I mean, we, we took six weeks to move here because the collection's so vast. It took 14 44-foot Pickford vans to actually make the move. And the, I think the village was thinking, my God, what's going on? But obviously, <laughs> but obviously once we were here, we could explain. I mean, the farmer that used to farm this land, he still lives at the bottom uh, of the road. We brought him in and made him look at his milking parlour where all the cattle used to be, cows used to be lined up for milking. And they're now rows and rows of film. What did he think of that? I think he was quite pleased in a way. I, I think he was quite He's quite interested in the films anyway, so, uh, yeah, he's, he's a good sort. And you're capturing the way perhaps he used to farm and others used to farm, as you say, in the archive in any case, so it, it, it's not a, a, a bad fit for a rural area, something like this, is it? I don't think so. I, we're delighted we're here, and certainly part of the programme we've just been involved in, new concepts are coming to me. For example, we've been having local volunteers actually coming to catalogue the film, because my staff, we, we can't know every subject that we have within the archive. So to actually use people that do know it. So people that have lived in Hereford all their lives, they're the best people to get in to catalogue the films and extract the best of them. The hop yards of Herefordshire, I guess, feature uh, fairly large on um, stuff 30, 50 um, years old. A lot of that, most of that perhaps gone now. It does seem that hop in hops in Herefordshire has changed somewhat. One of the fa- my favourite films about hops in the 50s shows one family, one family turned up, 150 of them. Can you believe it? They're all cousins and, uh, you know, everything from great-grandmother down to five-year-old toddler, and they're all picking hops, and they used to arrive en masse in the county. Extraordinary. And you've got films of them staying in old farm buildings and uh, uh, take, taking down the binds and stripping them all by hand, no mechanisation at all. And I do see them as, as documents, the same way as perhaps an illuminated manuscript might be or perhaps the same way as a painting or anything in a museum. For me, they're things that I want to last a long time to tell the, 
the future about the past. I mean, it's quite magical when you're sitting in a film show with a, with a crowd and the people of the past are looking at you through time um, and telling them telling current audiences about themselves as as a method of looking at history I can't think of anything more immediate things and narrow passages are sticking in a city where the name Hereford means the old way for centuries all travellers passed through the old way until the dreaded plague swept the countryside and then they were halted at the city boundaries no one was allowed in or out and the plague cross marks the spot where all was stopped going to town. Except one, and she came through. Nell Gwynn, Charles II's pin-up girl.